0: Hello everyone and welcome, my name is Fernando Florido and I'm a GP in the United Kingdom. With today's episode I'm starting a new series on diabetes guidelines in practice, looking at how guidelines could be applied to randomly selected clinical cases. By way of disclaimer, remember that guidelines are there to be interpreted and applied using your clinical judgment. I am not giving medical advice and what I'm doing here is sharing with you what my interpretation of the guideline would be in this particular case. It does not mean that it is the only way, or indeed the best way, to treat any individual patient. So you must always apply your clinical judgment. I will also say that I will only focus on the pharmacological treatment of type 2 diabetes. By all means, we will need to advise about diet, exercise, lifestyle, etc. But this will not be addressed in these episodes. Remember that there's also a YouTube version of these videos, so have a look in the episode description. Right, so let's get started, and let's generate our random patient. For that, we're going to spin a random wheel, so it will be a challenge for me too. Right, so we have an 85-year-old man, newly diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, who is poorly controlled, with an HbA1c of 65 millimoles or 8.1%, who also has heart failure and CKD stage 3b with an EGFR of 32. In addition, he's underweight, even possibly malnourished to some degree. Right, we're going to look at the guidelines and how to apply them. Although I will focus on the NICE guideline, in this case my interpretation and the outcome would be exactly the same if you follow the European Association for the Study of Diabetes recommendations or the American Diabetes Association guideline. So what doesn't i say that we should do firstly we need to consider if rescue therapy is necessary because for symptomatic hyperglycemia we will need to consider insulin or sulfonylurea and review when the blood glucose control has been achieved so we're going to assume that he is well and that he has no symptoms of diabetes he's underweight but this has been like this for a few years there hasn't been any rapid weight loss indicating an urgent need for insulin and his urinary ketones are negative. Other causes of an intentional weight loss such as cancer have also been excluded so we're just focusing on the diabetes. His HbA1c is high and he has not improved with diet and lifestyle advice so we should do something. However given his age we're not going to manage him too aggressively because at 85 we're probably more concerned about harmful hypoglycemia. But he does need treatment, and certain diabetic agents could also help his comorbidities. So, next, we must look at his medical history. He has both CKD and heart failure, and we know that SGLT2 inhibitors can be beneficial for both these conditions. However, because of the benefits of metformin, Nye says that first, we should consider starting metformin alone to assess tolerability and once this has been confirmed, we should add an SGLT2 inhibitor. Arguments against using metformin at all in this patient are that his EGFR is fairly low and at 32 he's quite close to CKD stage four. Also, because he's underweight with possible low muscle mass, we need to remember how the estimated GFR is calculated and consider that as a result of the low muscle mass, his eGFR may be overestimated and that his actual GFR could be below 30. We know that we can use metformin quite normally if the eGFR is above 45. We need to review the dose and prescribe it cautiously if the eGFR is between 30 and 45 and then stop it completely when the eGFR falls below 30. The manufacturer of metformin also advises caution in chronic stable heart failure with the advice to monitor cardiac function closely we also know that metformin can have potential gastrointestinal side effects and promote wet loss which we would not want in this patient and finally metformin works by reducing insulin resistance But in an 85-year-old underweight patient, it is more likely that his diabetes is due to insufficient insulin secretion by the aging pancreas. On the other hand, we also know that metformin has proved to have cardiovascular benefits. So it's a difficult decision. You could justify both giving and not giving metformin based on this patient's individual circumstances. Right. Time to decide, what would I do, what would I do? Uh, I would probably err on the side of caution and not give metformin. It can always be introduced later if his weight goes up and his renal and heart failures are stable or improve with other medication. If you really wanted to prescribe metformin, it would be best to start a very cautious introduction, maybe at 500 mg once daily and monitoring this patient very closely. Generally, the maximum accepted dose of metformin for patients with an AGFR between 30 and 45 is 500 mg twice a day, but I would be quite nervous about it and I would not increase the dose above 500 once daily for this patient unless the circumstances really changed. So the decision is we are not giving metformin, but we still need to prescribe something for this patient and NICE says that if there's a history of heart failure we should give an SGLT2 inhibitor with proven cardiovascular benefit. NICE says that the benefits in reduction in hospitalization for heart failure and cardiovascular mortality can be attributed to SGLT2 inhibitors as a drug class effect although at present r has not consistently shown these cardiovascular benefits in clinical trials. So We'll likely to choose either dapaglifosin, canaglifosin or empaglyphosin for this patient. Remember that SGLT2 inhibitors are also associated with possible weight loss. So, along with this prescription, there should be appropriate nutritional advice. We also know that there may be an increased risk of diabetes ketocidosis or DKA associated with SGLT2 inhibitors. So nice advice is us that before prescribing, we should check the patient's individual risk of DKA. For example, if they have had a previous episode of DKA, if they're unwell within the current illness or are following a very low carbohydrate or ketogenic diet. In particular, I would be very keen to make sure that this patient does not continue to lose weight, as this is likely to put him at greater risk of DKA once the SGLT2 inhibitor is started. Also, remember that we will need to check our formulary or BNF if you're in the UK because each drug has its own recommendations and EGFR thresholds for dose reduction, caution or avoid. Acceptable options would be Dapaglyphosin, maybe starting cautiously at 5 mg daily, possibly increasing to 10 mg daily if no issues develop canoglifosin starting at 100 mg daily which is the starting dose and also the maximum daily dose for anyone with an eGFR less than 60 or empaglifosin starting at 10 mg daily which is also the starting dose and the maximum daily dose for anyone with an eGFR less than 60. So that would probably be my first pharmacological action for this patient but by no means necessarily the only or best one. We have come to the end of this episode. I hope that you have found it useful. Thank you for listening and goodbye.